What is up, plant people? It's Tuesday, June 16th, 2020. And we're back with another episode of the Planthropology Podcast, the show where we dive into the lives and careers of some really, really cool plant people and see what makes them tick and what keeps them coming back for more. I'm Vikram Baliga, your host, and I'm thrilled to be with you today for episode 20. Uh, Y'all have been listening to me talk about plants and stuff with some really neat folks for 20 episodes, actually 20 plus episodes, as I keep slipping in some bonus stuff. But I just want to say thank you so much for coming along on this journey and making it so much fun to do. We have a ton of fun in the Facebook group, which you should be in. Planthropology is cool. Plants people, go join it now. Are you are you doing it? Go join the go, go do the thing. Okay? Are you done? Okay, great. We can move on now. Perfect. So, uh today's episode is awesome and I'm I'm really excited about it. It's one that I've wanted to do since uh pretty much I started this whole shindig. Uh and I got to talk to my old friend Dr. Becky Bowling, who's an assistant professor and extension specialist in urban water with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension, uh but who has responsibilities all over the place with different groups and doing different things. She's brilliant and funny and is just really one of my favorite people on the planet. We've been uh, close friends for, gosh, pretty close to a decade now. And uh, uh, I, I was just really excited that I finally got the chance to talk to her and interview her for the show. But before we jump into it, a couple of things. Um, episode one of the Jolly Green Scientist podcast dropped last week. And it was great, and thank you for to those of you who have already listened to it. If you haven't, do me a favor. Go check out Jolly Green Scientists. Um, Erfan Vafai from Episode 9 is my co-host, or I guess I'm his co-host. It's his show, and I'm co-hosting with him. But we really have a great time doing it. Uh, we've recorded a few episodes already, and I can't wait for you to hear more of those. Also, you need to go listen to his new show, Talking Bugs. That's just him talking to entomologists, just like I talk to plant people. And uh, I think that comes out today, so I'll post a link to that as well. You need to go check it out. Airfon's a good dude and a great podcaster, and I think you will love both of those shows. Also, I don't know if you know this, uh, but Father's Day is this Sunday. I'm going to be real transparent. I thought it was last Sunday, and about 10 o'clock on Saturday night, I woke up and freaked out. But if you still need a gift for your dad, consider ordering something or buying something from Pecan Ridge. They have lots of cool stuff from hats and glasses to candy and really anything else a human might like. So go to Pecan Ridge or PecanRidge.com. Use the promo code PLANTPEOPLE at checkout for 10% off your order. Uh, You will not regret it. I promise. And finally, uh, it would be great, since we're 20 episodes in, to make sure that I know that I'm doing what you want me to do and that what you're enjoying. So if you haven't, if you could go leave me an honest review on, I know I love five-star reviews. Okay, so I prefer that. But if you need to be honest with me, maybe send me a message first. But you can leave me an honest review that is less than five stars if you must. But please go review the show either on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. It really helps me out. Um, It keeps me up in the rankings and all that's great. But really, I just want to know that you're enjoying what we're doing here at Planthropology. It means a lot. So... 
All of that said, I'm not going to ramble too much longer. I just want you to enjoy this awesome episode with, again, my dear friend, Dr. Becky Bowling. And uh, sit back, relax, and have all the fun with episode 20 of the Planthropology Podcast. Um, so we're, we're shooting for, uh, we're shooting for like 30 to 40 minutes. Um, but it can, hours. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. it can go as long as it needs to. The next three episodes will actually be Becky. <laughs> Welcome to the <laughs> Beckyology, all Becky all the time. <laughs> okay. Uh, you think, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Well, we are live once more, and I'm here with Dr. Becky Grubbs Bowling. Are you going with all of it? Are you using all the words? I like to keep it changed up all the time so no one ever knows what to call me, and it gives them extra anxiety and makes me really hard to find. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I am transitioning to just using bowling, but it is a transition because, you know, when you're a professional, uh, a lot of people, you know, they, you have work published with a certain name and they become familiar with a certain name. And so, you know, I kind of like hyphenated for a while and now I'm gradually moving just to, to Becky bowling. So, all right. All right. So Dr. Becky, we're going with that. So for those of you who don't know, Becky is one of my best friends. We went to, we did our master's, or I guess I was doing my master's when she was finishing her undergrad and then starting your master's. I, sure. It's been like 10 years. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, and so Becky is with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension or uh, like Water University or AgriLife Research or the CIA or Texas Rangers. I don't know. Becky's changed jobs a couple times recently. Yeah, so I, yeah, it's a little complicated. I have a new position. So for the past two years, I served as one of our statewide extension turf grass specialists. And so um, some people may know me from that role. Uh, I had a counterpart in that position uh, who is Dr. Chrissy Seegers, who's another one of my very good friends. And, um, and then I accepted a new position um, where I am now an assistant professor and extension specialist for urban water. And with that position, I have multiple affiliations. And so I am part of the Department of Soil and Crop Sciences with Texas A&M, which is the department that I've been in for the last couple of years. I also uh, am supported and funded by the Texas Water Resource Institute or the TWRI. I work very closely with Water University and I also kind of have this uh, role to um, provide outreach and conduct research on water conservation in urban landscapes for the state of Texas and to collaborate with as many other agri-life entities as possible to that end. So a lot of affiliations, it's, it's a very new position and it'll be kind of interesting to see where it goes. And I'm, I'm excited about that, but it is a weird time to start a new position too. So yeah. So you're not busy or anything, right? Like, you no, <laughs> a thousand things. Not at all. Nothing free time. <laughs> yeah. So, so how long have you, you may have said this, how long have you been in that position? In this new position, yeah. I've only been in it. I started March 16th. So literally like right as everything, I have not been into a new office yet at all. That's what I was going to ask you. Like if you'd actually yeah. gotten, no. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, okay. So, you know, what we normally do is I guess talk a little bit about 
everyone's backstory. And so uh, I would just like to hear what, what got you into what you do? Why, why do you care about studying plants and water and uh, long job titles and all of those things? Um, oh man. So you told me ahead of time that we're doing 30 minutes, but I just don't know. I feel like this story alone uh, might be a couple of epi- episodes worth of material. We can um, as long as you need to. So I, I, uh, I grew up in the DFW area and I, um, started at Texas Tech in 2007, which is where I ultimately met you later on and several of other people that you have already interviewed, including Kyle and Daniel and Kaylee and Amber. Um, and so, um, I started off as an interior design major. Oh, And then I transitioned to a human development and family studies major. And I did that for a year. And as a part of a kind of a requirement for that position, we had to take a science class and I decided to take horticulture because I was like, oh, that sounds kind of interesting and different. And so I took horticulture uh, with Ellen Pefley, Dr. Ellen Pefley, um, when she was there. And I just kind of immediately fell in love with it. It felt very natural for me. And I liked the aspect of this kind of blend of, um, you know, more traditional study mixed with hands-on and being able to be outside and connect with nature. And um, it just kind of took off from there. So I changed my major again uh, to horticulture and uh, stuck with that. So now <laughs> I, uh, I then went on to uh, work as an hourly worker for Dr. Cynthia McKinney. And that's where I met all of all of you guys who have been some of my uh, longest friendships in, in my adult life. And, um, you know, I just have kind of, I've had a very long journey. And I guess kind of the neat thing about where I am now is that I feel like I've kind of come full circle. Mm-hmm. I've been on this very long path. Um through graduate school and I lived in Georgia for a while and I was involved in turf for a while and I've dappled in a variety of different areas of agriculture and and horticulture. And um, now I've come kind of all the way back to where I sort of started uh, back in Texas and even working with Daniel um, again is kind of, it's kind of brought it all back together because I worked with Daniel at tech years ago. So yeah, and and that's re- that's really cool. And you know, this this whole podcast is just a thinly veiled excuse for me to hang out with my friends from grad school, and like you know, talk to people that I studied with. But um, yeah, I mean, it's been it's been quite the journey, huh? And uh, you know, something we talk about a lot on the show with uh, a lot of the guests is that life is never a straight line, right? And our our careers and the things we do are never a straight line. And so, you know, when I ask that question of like how how'd you get into plants? How'd you get in all these things? Um, it's, it's, it's interesting just hearing what motivates and, and gets people into it. So, um, as far as what you do now, uh, you know, we, we talk, we've talked quite a bit about water conservation, but what's your approach to that? So like when you talk about water, I mean, okay, Again, how much time do we have, right? Like, um, just don't water ever. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> turn off the water. And that's it. Period. Yeah. yeah. I, so I think that's a good question. And I think, um, so I guess one thing that maybe I failed to say in the answer to your previous question is, um, one, there's kind of two big things that have kept me engaged in this world for the last, uh, 10, 12 years. And one of those is the relationships that I have with people that I've met and, 
there's definitely a bonding um, amongst, you know, I want to say plant people, but I think it extends beyond that. You know, yeah. certainly I have bonds with what I would describe as more soils people, but there's, there are bonds that you can form in this world where you, you share this passion for um, nature and the environment and feeling like you can have an impact on that, um, however big or small. And so that's, that's a big thing. And then, you know, for me, um, I feel like I, um, I've really come through a lot of my experiences with this appreciation for how everything is connected. Um, and you know, I think that that, that is true for human relationships in this world. It's a surprisingly small world, our little world of agriculture and oh, horticulture. For sure. For sure. Um, <laughs> Um, but it's also true for nature, and I think like I've gotten an increasing appreciation for um, like the the importance of integrated management. And a lot of times we think about that with respect to pest management, but I think that the the same principles apply to resource management in general, including water conservation. And I think what I've realized in my experiences is that I I love every aspect of management, and that's why I've kind of you know, chosen to explore different avenues. So um, I find soils and soil management fascinating. Um, I, I think that when it comes to water conservation and one of the goals of my new position for me um, is how can I work with so many great people? And we have a lot within the state. We have a lot in AgriLife. We have a lot at Texas Tech and other universities. How can I work with people that, that, are already doing their part toward water conservation to then take that to the next level and have this very integrated approach where we consider things like plant selection, site preparation, soil management, irrigation practices, and all of that comes together in this really effective program to improve how water resources are used. And for me, there's a big social science component that comes with all of that too, that I find really intriguing and, yeah. and that I'm really interested in kind of building on in my new position. So how do we um, better understand like what people prioritize when it comes to their landscapes and how do we use that to as researchers and outreach people to like connect more with parts of the population that maybe we haven't connected with very well before and and really have this like far-reaching change and impact on the environment so that's a very long answer to your question no, no it's, a, it's a great <laughs> answer and, and something you said something you said in there um really kind of stuck in my brain a little bit and, and I think that um, something that you, you do very well and that I, I'm glad that you're pursuing is collaboration because in the sciences, sometimes um, we maybe don't play super nice with others. <laughs> um, that surprise to any of you out there who are maybe uninitiated, but sometimes we kind of like circle the wagons and stay in our lane. And it's just like, uh, I'm going to do my research and I'm not going to talk to anyone. And I'm just going to do the, but it, today's world is not like that. Right, it's we, we don't live in this isolated scientific. This little some people okay, some people do. We should not live in this little isolated bubble in academia. And I, I I love that you talk about like all of us working together because it, there's a lot of pieces to this puzzle of conservation and and uh, conservation in general. You know, water I guess is the specific thing that 
you and I both probably work in more than, than anything else. But um, just when we talk about uh, uh, ecology and conservation and, and everything up to climate change, like we have to figure out how to work together. Yeah. Um, so uh, I guess a follow-up question to that is um, you kind of, if, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you kind of serve two roles as uh, you know, a research scientist on one hand where you're you know, conducting research, adding to the literature, all that. But then you also do lots of public outreach and lots of, you know, extension style programming. And, and how do you balance those things in your life? And uh, I do both a hundred percent. No, I, I mean, I think that's like the challenge of, of anybody in, in these types of roles. Um, or anybody in any, with any, anything in life, you know, there's always, it's like a, a never any challenge as an adult to, yeah. of how do I balance everything? And I think, um, for me, you know, first of all, I, I like uh, public speaking and I like engaging with the public and I, I like meeting new people. And so that part comes somewhat naturally to me. And I also think that there, it's really important that we um, have an effective way of communicating research. Like I think one thing that also happens sometimes in science or academia in our bubbles is that we, you know, work really hard on something. Maybe we even generate, you know, peer-reviewed journal articles from that work. But how how do we then take that and and get it out there on a bigger scale? that's where extension comes in and that's, that's part of the role that they play or that I, that we play. Um, and you know, I kind of like being kind of, uh, being in the middle of those two things. Like, you know, when I do research, it tends to be more applied because a lot of times I'm thinking about how do I answer a question that I might get from the public. Sure, yeah. Um, but there's also like tremendous value in the work that more theoretical researchers do. And I think it's kind of a neat challenge to think about how can I take the work that they do and communicate that to people so that there's this like large scale impact of that work, you know? And so I don't know if that really answers your question. I, I you know, it's, it's hard to balance, but I, I, um, I love the outreach part of my job. Um, and you know, it's also important to me in that role to stay engaged in research so that when I am providing outreach, I know that it's the most up-to-date and it's the, it's going to be of value to the people that I'm sharing that with. Right. Yeah. 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 No. And I think I, I, you did answer, you did answer my question. And I think that last part you said that, um, the, the benefit I think to also generating research while you're doing communication is that again, you know that it's new, right? You know what you've done and you know what the the results look like. And, and you know, it's not just that, you know, one paper leads to scientific fact, but it keeps you in the literature and it keeps you in, um, I guess kind of, I'm trying to figure out how to say it. I guess you kind of, it kind of keeps your thumb on what the consensus currently is in a certain field, right? Whether that's yeah. for conservation or whatever. So, um, yeah, it keeps us always moving forward. Yeah, there you go. That's, that's the way. 
a way mentioned. better, way better way to say all the, all the words I just threw out there. Great. That's going to be our, my slogan from this episode. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. I'll make a sticker. We're going to have to <laughs> So that's, you know, <laughs> this is an aside for those of you out there listening, but I am still planning on making stickers from each episode that you can uh, get <laughs> and stick to things in your home or your children or whatever. I don't know. I don't know where people put stickers. Uh, an image of somebody's child just like covered in stickers. Like. In, my, in like plant ecology <laughs> stickers. <laughs> that could be my child. He's going to be a billboard for Halloween. It'd be great. Um, so, okay. I had a question and it's gone. So, so speaking of, of research, um, you know, and, and I know that it's, it can be tough as you're working on specific things to really throw out a lot of information about it for a variety of reasons. But do you have anything you're working on right now that you want to, you'd be comfortable sharing that you're like particularly excited about or projects um, coming down the pike? Yeah, I'm kind of in a weird spot right now because I'm transitioning between positions. And so I'm involved in um, two USDA SCRI or specialty crops research initiative grant projects. So they're like large multi-institutional federal grants um, that are both related to the world of turfgrass science. And one of those uh, is exploring um, herbicide resistance that we see in a weed called annual bluegrass or POA annua. Um, this is a very kind of, I am always a little impressed with this weed. We find it on every continent, you know, it actually was introduced to the maritime regions of Antarctica and has started moving into the tundra regions. It's extremely adaptive. And so, um, there's, there's been, um, some significant economic impacts, um, of this weed developing resistance in, in high value turf grass systems. Um, and so I'm in a, I'm part of a really big grant right now exploring that. And Texas A&M is actually the lead on the grant. And it's been a really neat opportunity because I'm not a weed scientist by training. Um, but I loved taking weed science when I was at Texas Tech, actually. Shout out to Pete Dotre out there. If you happen to be listening, your classes were among my favorites. Um, and so, you know, I... <laughs> they were classes. We Jesse, if you're listening, tell your dad that we liked his classes. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, you know, so that's kind of cool. And I get to work with a lot of... I would describe them as like the best minds in turfgrass weed science in the country, um, including people like Jim Brosnan and Sean Askew and Aaron Patton. And, and so that's kind of been really neat to be a part of that. Um, and then the other grant that I'm on is kind of more related to water conservation. Um, and it's a, an SCRI, a USDA SCRI initiative that is all about developing new turf grass cultivars that are more drought tolerant hmm. and um, evaluating them for use in urban landscapes. And uh, there's a big extension and social outreach component to that that I, I get to be a part of where we look at you know, we, okay, great. We've got these excellent new drought tolerant turf grasses. How do we then effectively communicate to people that plant them in their yards, you know, how to manage them differently? Because I think, you know, one of the challenges that we may see sometimes is we put a lot of time, it take, takes like 15 to 20 years to develop a new turf oh, wow. grass, for example. Okay. Yeah. 
So that's a long, that's a long process and a lot of work goes into that. And if the objective is to produce something more drought tolerant and it goes into a landscape and is managed like every other, <laughs> every other grass before yeah. it, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, then we're not getting the, the true benefit of that improved cultivar. And so um, that's something that I get to be a part of as well. Um, and a lot of our major warm season turf grass breeders throughout the country are involved in that and including the one that we have at Texas A&M who is Ambika Chandra. Um, and, and pretty much a lot of our turf, the turf grass team at Texas A&M is, is uh, involved in that in some capacity. Um, so that's also a pretty neat research project. So those are some things that I'll continue to stay somewhat involved in mm -hmm. as I transition into my new role. And then, um, you know, <clears throat> going forward, there's kind of two big areas that interest me from a research standpoint. Uh, one of those is how to optimize infiltration in urban landscapes. Okay. I think that there's already a lot of research looking at irrigation practices and irrigation programming, which is great. And I would love to complement that with more, more thorough research looking at how site preparation and soil management affect uh, water catchment and permeability of soils. And, you know, I think one thing we think about a lot in Texas, we're always focused on the drought side of things. Right. But also here in Texas, we have parts of the state that experience very severe intermittent flooding yeah. in their urban areas. And both of those problems are things that um, can be addressed by improving infiltration rates to help capture more rainwater when we get it. Sure. Um, infiltration also plays a significant role in, um, you know, preventing nutrient pollution, pesticide pollution, runoff. And so it's, it's a pretty important component and that's something I'm really interested in and, um, collaborating with some of our soil scientists to look at that more closely. I think, um, there's some interesting, uh, barriers that come with construction and new building yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that significantly affect infiltration in urban landscapes. And uh, if you've got a brand new yard, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about out there. <laughs> so that's something I'm interested in. And then the other thing is social science research. And uh, that's where working with water university is going to be a really great opportunity because they have done a phenomenal job of establishing themselves as kind of a premier outreach group for delivering research-based information. And I think they are going to be a great um, place to kind of launch this, this really effective look at communication and how to connect with audiences in different ways, because that's something that they've already been exploring um, to make their program be successful. And so kind of turning that, uh, into data that we can then analyze in a more scientific way. So um, those are, those are some things that I'm, I'm interested in. Well, those are, and those are great areas of focus. And so like for the, just real quick for the folks out there that are uh, maybe not um, water and soil people, infiltration is not like working your way into clandestine organization. Well, it is that, but it's also the rate at which water moves into the soil. Correct. Is that, yeah. is that a simple way to put that? Yeah, yeah, and how, yeah, how effectively that happens, right? And so, like, you know, I mentioned construction. If we think about how sometimes maybe new lawns are constructed, a lot of times the soil is significantly disturbed. Some of the good stuff may be just kind of shaved right off the top there. Gone. Uh, we may sprinkle in some trash. I don't know, a bag of Quick Crete or some Doritos bags and then compact it heavily. <laughs> 
with some really heavy equipment. And, you know, ultimately we get something that may be akin to concrete, especially with some of our clay soils here in Texas, which are already really fun to play yeah, with. Yeah, so fun. And so then, you know, as soon as we get rainfall, it may not go in at all. It may just <laughs> run right off the surface and into the street. And so I would love to look um, more deeply into how do we change that a little bit. And we have some great soil scientists that I think are going to make excellent collaborators um, yeah. to help us with that. So. No, that's awesome. And, and so soils aren't something we've talked a lot about on the show, but it's, it's coming up um, this fall probably. But it's, it's a dirty subject, you know? It's, and this is a safer work show, so we probably need to stay away from the soils. Um, th- th- see, that's going to be a great sticker. Soils are dirty. Um, anyway, <laughs> so, um, but no, that is really important. I think that uh, something that people don't talk about enough is um, how important, and, and it's weird because we sh- it's it should be common sense, but how important just the quality of the soil is to the overall plant system and our overall conservation and um, just ecological efforts and things like that. So it's, it's kind of, Texas is a great place to explore that because, you know, we have 12 soil orders or kind of classification, larger classifications for soils in the world. And nine of those are here in Texas. So we have a lot of soil diversity and it creates a really neat environment to look at different approaches to soil management and how that affects the health of Texas landscapes in different eco regions. So I think it's, it could be really fun. Somebody listening to this might be like, that doesn't sound fun to me, but I, I think it sounds pretty fun. I think fun. it's fun. I think <laughs> it's fun. Well, and, and so for our international and, and other folks that are listening, Texas is pretty big. If you've never been here or seen it, it's like the size of Western Europe. So uh, there is a lot of diversity in ecosystems and different things. So it is a good place to study uh, everything from, um, you know, uh, the effects of freeze damage on, on lawns and different plants to uh, what do you do if you are literally trying to plant things in silly putty and uh, all of that. It shrinks and swells. It shrinks and swells too. Yeah, shrinks and swells, all <laughs> kinds of stuff. Giant cracks and swell. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is, is I'm really interested in what you were talking about in the, the social science aspect of Horticulture. Well, maybe we can collaborate on something. I well, if I ever finish writing my <laughs> freaking dissertation, uh, which, you know, two of my chapters are on that, uh, then yes, I would love to. Uh, yeah. so this is coming out uh, June 16th. And hopefully at this point, intrepid listeners, I have finished writing and am well on my way to having a really great, wonderful dissertation to turn in. But uh about social sciences and water and stuff. So anyway, and we'll call you Dr. Belika. It'll be so exciting. I'm going to make everyone call. I'm not, I'm not, I'm so much <laughs> not that guy. There's a couple of, I have a couple of people in mind who I might make me call, doc, make call me Dr. Belika just to be that, you know, be a jerk. But, uh, yeah, no, that's, that's not going to be a thing. I don't think, uh, maybe Dr. Plant nerd. I can, I can, I can live with Dr. Plant nerd. I'm going to make, uh, I'm going to make business cards to say for the podcast to say Dr. Plant nerd. Um, but, but tangent aside, like, uh, social sciences is so important in yeah. conservation and, um, I think that's fascinating. So part of what I'm studying or what I, what I studied was, um, in, in my part of the state, what makes people want to save water? Is it, is it being fined? Is it, uh, just, just the price of water? Is it, 
you know, people trying to communicate in different ways. And, and, uh, that's something that going forward in my own like research that I I really want to dive into, because I think that we can do all the, the biological science we want we can make the best product and the, come up with the best management practices for soil and turf and all these other things. But if we can't figure out how to get people to actually do those things, um, it's, it's all for naught, Right. So I think that that is uh, somewhere that as maybe an industry, we should be putting uh, an academic industry and a, a, you know, industry industry, be putting more and more time in, into the, the social aspect of it. Well, and I think what we're going to discover or what we are discovering is there's not a one size fits all answer for that. And for us to be really effective, we have to identify as many of those, you know, I, I think of them as kind of priorities for people or behavioral drivers, right? And we have to speak to each of those a little differently, right? So some people may really value environmental stewardship and other people may go, yeah, that's great. I have a family and a full-time job and my priority is doing whatever is the most convenient, right? Yeah. How to, and then, and then the answer is like, well, then how do we make water conservation as convenient as possible for that audience? Or how do we make it more cost effective for an audience that values budget or how do we, so there's a lot of different, you know, channels. And I think that's one of our challenges as people that, um, interface with the public is like, how do we, um, change our approach a little bit depending on the audience or to appeal to different audiences. And I think of it as kind of similar to, you know, if you're, if you're a really effective teacher, you recognize that people have different learning styles and you try to accommodate that in your approach. And I think it's similar for us, you know, that not everybody wants to sit down for an hour and listen to data. (laughs) 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 So, you know, and I also think like, there's a lot of, you know, we live in a world where there's a lot of different ways to talk to people. Podcast is one. Yeah. Written publication, social media. How do we tap into all of those and use that as a way to connect with people in different ways? So I think that'll be really fun to explore um, going forward for sure. Well, in that, in that you, you kind of answered my next question, but I'll ask it anyway to see if you have further insights. So in, in today's world, as we go forward, I, I like to ask the question of, where do you think we're headed as an industry, right? And we kind of just talked about that, but we have in the past, what, two months had to figure out all kinds of new ways to deliver information, right? And, and then we, we talk a lot about, okay, well, when this goes back to normal or things are normal again, blah, blah. I, I, you know, I don't know that things are going to be quote unquote normal like they were two years ago or like they were three months ago. Like I think that there's some things in our, in our educational process that may have fundamentally changed. Mm-hmm. So um, you've had to, to do a lot of, you know, you do lots of programming. You do a lot more programming than I've ever done with extension or otherwise. Um, so what have you found? And this is, you know, maybe a, a pretty broad question, but, are there specific things that you have found over the past couple months that work well for delivering, you know, this kind of information and maybe some things that don't? Yeah. So, um, again, I, I really think it like depends on the audience, you know, like, so I have done with water U, we've done some really great virtual classes, um, that are, you know, about an hour to an hour and a half a piece. And they're kind of more in depth on these larger topics. And I think we have, 
a subset of the population that just loves that. They love to sit down and kind of like completely immerse themselves in a subject and digest as much as possible. Um, but I also think you have an audience that's like, where's the quickest, most efficient place that I can get this information? And can we do it in a way that's funny or interesting or where I leave with one point that I then take and, and implement into my daily life? And so I think like, you know, one thing that we have to figure out how to do um, as outreach individuals is like, how do we continue to do this more conventional approach of these like longer programs, very rich programs, but also like uh, kind of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Hmm. Here's another place for your thinking music. you know, these like very quick, easy to digest pieces sure. of information for people that this is just something that they just kind of think is interesting. They want to get something quick from it. And, you know, and I think like, you know, those of you that follow Daniel Cunningham, I know he was on this podcast before, but he does a good job of, of generating some things like this. We have some people in AgriLife that do a nice job with these, like, here's a snippet, here's a, a meme or whatever it is. And so I think... <laughs> I think that'll be really important, like diversifying the platforms that we use for communicating, diversifying how we deliver messages, um, and like the duration of those messages, and really trying to identify as scientists, like what are the main things I need people to know, and how can I create a message that's consistent in terms of the content but appeals to a very broad range of people. And so I think, you know, that's where the industry has to move. And, and I also think like here in a state like Texas, um, we have a big trend that we're becoming increasingly urban. Yeah, and absolutely. we have more and more people that maybe are interested in gardening um, as a hobby, but they have to balance that with a very different lifestyle. And so how do we keep up with that as well? Um, and, and appeal to that increasingly urban audience. And I think increasingly younger audience, we yeah. have younger people that I think are very interested in edible plants and having some gardens at home. So, um, you know, yeah, that's kind of where I see things going, I guess. Well, you know, and I, and you're right. And, and, um, for those of you interested in using memes for science, go back and listen to episode uh, 18, which was really pretty much all about memes. We talked about memes for an hour. It's great. Um, and, and TikTok a little bit, but whatever. Yes. That's actually what I should have said when you said, what's the future? I should uh, have TikTok. said TikTok. TikTok. <laughs> I'm so old. Like for the longest time I hung in there with, I don't understand TikTok. You know, yeah. I wanted it to be Vine and it's not. But where, where, where are our trending plant dances? That's what we really need. Trending plant dances. Yeah, they need to be interpretive so that as people do the dances... They understand huh. new scientific concepts. Okay, plant people, that is a challenge for you. If you <laughs> if you have a TikTok channel and you want to uh, tag, I don't know, plant dances hashtag plant. I don't know. Uh, come up with something and send it to me. That I would love to share your <laughs> interpretive plant dance. And it can't just be dancing Groot from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, you can have a little bit of Groot. I'm not opposed to Groot. Yeah. 
but it can't just be Groot. Just not just Groot. No, you got to come up with something new. But trending plant dances, I I like that a lot actually. Uh, but but no, I I think you're you're totally right in that um, the way we approach um, our audience is is going to have to evolve. And and also you know it's interesting from the there's a group. Um, I think called the Garden Research Institute that does this big national gardening survey every year. And the last one I've seen was from 2018, but they showed this huge increase in uh, landscape and garden and vegetable and all these other things, like those kinds of activities in people 34 and younger, in the 18 to 34 uh, age range. And so, um, you know, I've said this for a long time since I was with Extension, but the public of that or the the power of that kind of outreach extension and that model is you take information to where the people are, right? And so if they're on TikTok, that's where you go. If they're on if they're on a, a meme page on Facebook, that's where you go. And so it's it's going to be interesting, I think, to see how um in light of this whole COVID thing and and just an uh, a changing um I guess social climate where where education goes over the next five or ten years. I'm I'm kind of excited about it because I think we have dug ourselves into a few ruts that we've struggled to get out of as an as a you know academic institution in general. Um, and it, it'll be interesting to see how we how we come out the other side of this. Um, so the I I've kind of lost track of time, so it's fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, whatever. People people are still listening. Like. This is a deluxe episode. This you're welcome, everyone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're you're so welcome. My my five listeners are very happy right now. They're like, the extra content. Um, so starting to wrap up a little bit. One thing I always ask for is um, a piece of advice, and that can be like conservation related or uh, school related or whatever else. Um, but if there's like one thing you wanted, just like you said, you know, we need to be, I guess focusing on take home, like driving home some of these points. If there's one thing that you think our listeners should know and and carry away with them, what do you think that would be? Everything is connected. Okay. And I, and I know that that's not really advice, but I would, what, what the advice would be use that concept to inform everything that you do. Um, with respect to people and with respect to the way that you manage your landscape. Um, if you remind yourself regularly that you're connected to something bigger. I think it leads to more present decision-making that ultimately is more beneficial to everybody. And um, so that's probably what I would say. And if you're, if you're interested in this kind of subject as a whole, uh, there's a book I can recommend called Lawn People. Okay. And it is a kind of all about the way that we think about landscapes and Um, One of the things that they touch on in the book is they kind of talk about how even the most environmentally minded people a lot of times think of their landscape as kind of being like an island or a bubble and the decisions that they make in that bubble don't have any larger implications. And what I can tell you is that everything that we see in the research is that increasingly because so much of our country is urbanized now, um, the way people manage their lawns and their landscapes can have huge far reaching impacts on the environment. And so, um, and I'm not saying that to guilt anybody, but what I'm saying it uh, for is to remind people that like you as a person with just your little lawn have a lot of power 
to have a positive impact with your little piece of Texas. And so as you go out into your day and into your life, everything is connected. I love it. No, that's great. That's really great. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, it, and it is because it, it is easy to compartmentalize ourselves too much and, uh, you know, think that the, the things that I do don't matter too much, but, but they do. The decisions we all make in in our landscaping in our lives in general do matter. Uh, and I would I would feel pretty confident saying we just changed a lot of lives with this. We did so again, listeners. <laughs> you're welcome for extra, <laughs> all six of you. I, we gained one um, for the extra extra bonus content. Um, so uh, Becky, I, I you know you know how much I enjoy talking to you. I hope you know how much I enjoy talking to you. But. Um, I wish the feeling was mutual, you know, but it's just, like, <laughs> you know, I get, I get that a lot. I get that a lot. Um, so where can we find you? Plug your stuff. Okay. So I am on Twitter at TX Waterwoman now, and I'm also very involved in the AgriLife Water University Facebook page. If you do not follow them, I strongly recommend that you do. You can find a lot of my stuff there. Um, and just keep an eye out because I have a feeling that here in the next couple of months, I will be surfacing with some new social media accounts, uh, for my new position. And so, you know, then you'll be able to follow me in even more places. So yeah, yeah. follow Becky, Dr. Becky, all the places. And, uh, I'll link all that in the show notes. And as new stuff comes up, I will share it. But, uh, Becky, thanks for being on with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. I think what you're doing is awesome. And I was kidding, obviously. I love talking to you. So I'm excited to, just to clarify for anybody listening that uh, doesn't know me and know that I'm super sarcastic sometimes. Um, so thank you and great job and keep it up. Thanks. I appreciate it. Y'all have a wonderful rest of your June and we will see you at the beginning of July with another episode that someone will be on. I'm not sure who yet, but someone will be on it. Take care. We'll talk to you later. Actually, at this point, I do know who the next episode will be, but I'm going to let it be a surprise. So I'll just say that if you're a tree, you should be very excited about this episode. And if you are not a tree and actually an organism that has ears and can listen to a podcast, you should be even more excited. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, remember that everything's connected and everything that you do matters to someone and to something because we're all connected and everything else in this ecosystem and this crazy world is also connected. Thanks so much to the Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science for all their support. Um, this could not be done without them. Uh, it's just the best place that I've ever worked and it's really wonderful. Um, if you want to find us, look us up on the interwebs. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Search for Plantopology. Look for the uh, greenish background with the whitish tree and the word Plantropology on it. Uh, you can also find us at plantropologypod.com. You can email me at plantropologypod at gmail.com. Go join the Face Space group, uh, Plantropology's Cool Plant People. There's also one for Jolly Green Scientists and Talking Bugs. But uh, y'all, again, you make this a pleasure to do. You are totally rad. Um, and I love you lots. Talk to you next time.